I'm author Mark Muncy. And I'm author Erica Lance. And this is Eerie Travels. Greetings, travelers. Greetings. Wow, what a what a wild time, man. This has been I've, I've been we've been catching up on episodes and we've had the uh, uh, we've done Sunshine Scare and I had a great response from listeners there and uh, we've got more events coming up. Oh, my gosh. We so do. Crazy. We're, we're getting super busy, Mark. Yeah, what I know. It's, it's, it's like we're getting popular us. or something. Yeah. One of my friends joked that the first time they put Erie in their search bar, it popped up Erie Travels. And I was like, <laughs> all right. And yes. then underneath it was eerie eerie indiana and i'm like all right well that was a good show so you know i, I yeah i'm a i'm a fan so i agree lake I, erie was down at the bottom so we're more popular than lake erie in the google algorithm so yeah well that's nice to know well we're if you're into stuff you know i centuries guess centuries old lake <laughs> so no so what have you been up to uh mourning the death of gordon lightfoot and the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald so you know that was yeah, that was one of my favorite songs, and I saw him in concert uh, several times over the years. So that that was uh, that. And then, mourning the loss of Hellview Cemetery, it's uh, been carted away to uh, the dumpsters of St. Petersburg. But a few other haunts have claimed, you know, certain bits of it. So it's living on through other haunts. I like that it's reincarnated through other haunts. It, 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 it you can't kill Hellview. Yeah, so. No, I was going to say, you're not supposed, it's kind of like burning a Ouija board. You're not supposed to do that either. Right, right. Uh, Callie will be happy to note that uh, a couple of the haunted artifacts from the bar were uh, taken to uh, another haunted museum. So thank God, honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for you to move um, out of the, the house. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's cool. It's exciting. Um but that house is um pretty cursed at this point. So I know we've got a whole episode that we did on it, but I'm just happy. I'm happy. It's I just want to point out that um I think there is definitely, you know, we talked a, a little bit on the one of the last episodes about um, you know, fear mongers and stuff like that. And it actually got me thinking about the fact that you can get so much energy laced to a place. Like Hard good, bad, you know, whatever, you can just have so much of it that, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting for the new owners of that particular plot of land. Is it still (laughs) going to say Hellview Cemetery on Google? Uh, For a while, I'm sure it will. I mean, (laughs) I I don't know how long that'll be, but uh, I got to imagine that that's going to happen for some time, so. Yeah, well, don't mention that in the sales documentation. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) So, very cool i um so we're we've been starting to upload our little travel videos too yeah yeah there's been quite a few uh posted on uh our tiki talks and our instagrams and all that other fun stuff so uh, i wish you wouldn't say it like that it makes us sound old we are old erica we are, we are old. not that Sorry. old but uh, we've been posting it on all things, even though TikTok was banned in Montana. So sorry, listeners in Montana, you have to drive out of state to listen to us. Well, you can check us out on Instagram, right? Instagram Facebook. or Facebook. We're for the I old people. We're on Facebook too. So yeah. 
one of our reels got like 200,000 views, which is insane in like a week. It was- They like us. They really they like, like us. us. They really do. So um, we need to do a plug though, because I know you've got cool stuff to talk about, but listeners, we want your listener tales. We say that a lot, but yep. please send them in. We love hearing them. We want to know- also, where to go? You can suggest things and stuff for us to look into because and, we like it weird and not mainstream weird. Yeah, and we've been getting, you know, you know, the response from our listener tales episodes have, have been off the charts. So yes, please send us send us more. We've been uh, very happy with the ones we've got. We are saving a couple for a big special again. We 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 really enjoyed doing those. Those were a lot of fun, and the response has been really great. So yeah, keep them coming. Keep them coming. We need to pile them up. So I agree. I agree. Um, so what are we talking about today? Oh, we don't have any news today. All right, fine. No, well, I could, I could do news because I found one of the funniest things ever. And what? you know, it, it's our friends at Paranormality Magazine. Yay! So I can talk about that. So we can do some news. I love that song. So yeah. I love it. So yeah, breaking news. Okay. Breaking news. Ready? The Grim Reaper makes an appearance at King Charles Coronation. What? Yes. Which, you know, there's that's got to be a place that's got a lot of energy like we talked about. But apparently <laughs> it wasn't legitimately the Grim Reaper, which makes me sad because that would have just been funny. Um, I, I saw this live. And because uh, a, a lot of a lot of people tune in, this is history, right? This is important stuff. And um, and then it was like almost immediately people started tweeting. Was that what I thought it was? And was that what I thought it was? And then after the replays and everything, people started zooming in on it. And of course, all over social media, this video was exploding. So go ahead and say what Paranormality's take on it is. So Paranormality basically says that during the historic crowning of King Charles III, at Westminster Abbey, a clip showing a dark hooded figure in the background has generated a lively debate. The figure, dressed in all black garments and carrying something reminiscent of a scythe, could be seen hurrying across the doorway from left to right. So it went viral, but it, it, it unfortunately turns out that it was not, in fact, the Grim Reaper, oh. right? That it was. Um, Ooh, there's magic in my house. It wasn't the Grim Reaper. It was um, a clergy person that just yeah. happened to be dressed like that, or so they're saying. Right. So there's that's yeah. what they want you to believe, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what they want us to think. But there is some debate, and I think it's actually funny because, you know, I would love for a Grim Reaper to be caught on film. I think that would be just perfect is have you ever watched the show what dead like me dead like me i was just about to say that was the oh, best show that nobody yeah. watched because it was on showtime back when nobody had showtime yeah exactly was... dead like me girl dies from a toilet seat from space yes in one of the best shows ever and grim reapers so if yeah. grim reapers are some sort of entity we'll have to tackle that in a further show we'd love stories about grim reapers if you have them but this may or may not have been a Grim Reaper. I mean, they're saying it was a clergyman. I'm up for debate on what it was. I'm just saying if I have a coronation, I hope one doesn't show up. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that would that would be bad. But 
you know, when when you do take over the world, I am all for your coronation. I will dress like the Grim Reaper if necessary. So. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Be... My minions and subjects. Yes. yes. <laughs> gladly, <laughs> gladly. So. <laughs> all right. So. Oh, my gosh. So are you ready to do a wacky wild ride today? So. I am always ready. Okay. Okay. Because this is another one. I mean, this is not. I, you know, this is up to our usual standards. I think this is definitely one of those. And I've had a few people ask me about my take on this. So uh, I've, I've always wanted to do this one. So, um, and this was a deep dive. Now, I, as for those of you who know, in one of my many previous lives, I ran a video game store for nearly 20 years. Uh, the company shall remain nameless, but it rhymed with uh, shame stop. And um, so, uh, but. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I, I have quite a following in video games, and and Erica, you and I are of the video game generation, right? We were like we the are video game generation. I, so. I was actually playing a Star Wars video game before I signed on to this podcast. Right, awesome. So, yeah. but, but we go way back, and I'm going to take you back in time. Remember, Star Wars had come out in the '70s. I do remember the opening oh, night of that. All right now, see, I was at opening night in West Virginia, which was about two, about uh, six months to a year after it was everywhere else. But uh, mine was at the Chinese Man Theater in Hollywood, so I was legitimately at opening, opening night. But night. continue on while All you right. bask in the jealousy of my jelly, jelly, jelly. <laughs> but thankfully, that was in the days before the internet, so there were no spoilers, and I had no idea what I was in for. Uh, but uh, anyway. Also about that time, you know, the rise of science fiction and all that becomes the rise of a certain phenomena. You know, we talk about Pong. We're, of course, talking about asteroids. And then the centipede, a centipede uh, Atari. But then other companies start jumping into the games. And then we have these places where you could go play them because usually they were in like 7-Elevens or, you know, bars and all these weird places um, and you would have to track, all right, which, which, you know, which convenience store has the best, you know, video game that just came out. But then eventually they would open up these things called arcades. Ooh, where, an arcade. Yes. And there would be piles of games and everybody started playing them. And, and that's the late seventies, early eighties. They blow up and they are everywhere. Right. I mean, you know, they are, was, and it was very cool. And you had to take your roll of quarters with you. Yep. So in one of those arcades in Portland, Oregon. Wait, 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 before you say where we're going, what was your favorite arcade game when those first started happening? Oh, when they first started, uh, I was a big fan of Battlezone um, and Berserk. Those were my two early arcade games. And then Tron took over my life for a while. But my mastery, the one that I was so good at was Gyrus. So okay, that was so, a little later. That was mid '80s. Yeah, so. I was going to say that's mid '80s. Mine was uh, pole position. Oh yeah. Wait, wait here. I can do it. Boop, boop, boop. Prepare to qualify. It was a racing <laughs> game. Yeah, I, I like Berserk because it talked to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and then Gorf was another oddball one that I liked a lot too. So mine ended up being um gauntlet like gauntlet oh, is where i lost that was a quarter all of the money i feel like i single-handedly sponsored one of the game cabinets because yep. 
man, Red Wizard is about to die. Okay, <laughs> but we're, before we get lost in our nostalgia, because I, I sort of deviated us there, there is an arcade in Portland, Oregon. I'm hoping right. right next to where Voodoo Donuts is, but probably right. not. So this is in Portland, Oregon, but this was 1981. Wow. And as everybody's, you know, playing all the games there, you know, little lines and dots are, you know, all over the screens, right? Everybody's catching Pac-Man, you know, you know, you know and all these things. And uh, and we're trying to, you know, we're, we're playing these games. And, but there was one game that was outstanding. Everybody who remembers it says it was above all others. And that they couldn't stop playing it to the point where they got sick and started having seizures. Hey, Mr. Epilepsy here. I, I identify with this. Um, they would be stressed. They would have bad nightmares. Uh, a couple attempted suicide after losing the game. And they, and they really just were like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And that game was called Polybius. Okay, I've never heard of this game. It was a very, according to researchers, it was a very limited release and pretty much three arcades in Oregon and perhaps one in Orlando, Florida. Okay. Most of the so, creatures agree the Orlando story is kind of an oddball, but the three, uh, the three uh, Portland is where it was, it was at. So... Yeah. Three. Let me let me just make sure I understand. There were three games in Portland, Oregon, and one supposedly in um, Orlando, but we don't think that one was real. Right. It was at the Magic Castle in Orlando. How uh, the hell were anybody talking about this? Because there wasn't the internet. No, so and that's where were they talking about playing word this of game mouth from the arcade? Word, word of mouth from the arcade players. This is the game. Oh my gosh, this is the game. You remember how it used to be? You'd go in there and you'd find that new game and there'd be a line, you know, to play that one game. And I'd walk past it and just go play Berserk some more. But, uh, but I don't uh, want to discuss how long the line was for Mortal Kombat when that. I know, I was going to say Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter were not my things. I was not a fighting game guy. I wanted games with storylines. I wanted games with adventure and uh, even though what limited primitive storylines there were and stuff back then. True. Uh, true. But, so, um, but you remember uh, vector graphics, right? Those are the ones with the lines. Oh yeah. Uh, it was like Battle Zone was like one of the first asteroids. Uh, Tempest had that most famously. They were the ones the first to do the 3D, you know, full, you know, flashing lights and all that. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, this game was apparently like that. Okay. It had the flashing screens, and apparently, it was doing things with graphics that could should not have been possible in 1981. Okay. It was very advanced. And then every week, the guys who were hanging out at Arcade started noticing every week these guys in black suits would come in and service the machine on oh, a regular that, basis. The way you said that could be mean many things. Could be, could be. <laughs> but uh i mean you open up the back oh wait oh, that could say something else but you know <laughs> you know and check the equipment and um uh, i don't words. think you can get out of this one now you're you're too deep yeah, I'm too, yeah. Oh, there, but, there you so go. people would show up in suits to 
to to mess with yeah, them. Now, think about the arcades of the 80s. It was usually some kid you know, running the arcade or some guy with a cigarette out of his mouth in the mall. You know, uh, you yeah, know, no, it, it was it was either a, a stoner kid or a creepy weird kid. Yeah, yeah. Or an old guy that like probably fought in World War One. Yeah, you know, you know, who knew nothing about these video games, but was there just taking money, yeah. uh, you know, beer and cigarette money. But uh, anyway, but these guys in suits came in, press mm-hmm. suits, and they would, you know, it was men in black, people started saying. It was the men in black. The men in which, black for this one machine. For this one machine. They wouldn't touch any of the others. They would come in, they would do some strange things right in the middle of while everybody else is there, and then just walk away. You know, like, what the heck is going on? Okay, and, that's creepy. And apparently, and didn't take any of the money. No interest in the coins. We're just taking, like, some piece of equipment out of the machines or data out of the machines. Okay. Uh, this, of course, would have been before hard drives and stuff. So people were like, hmm, interesting. So um, anyway, that's the story. Okay. Okay. Now, what this has led to is one of the biggest unsolved mysteries of internet history right okay it's it's an urban legend on gaming and conspiracy websites uh it was big on creepypasta in the early days of creepypasta our horror wiki and uh of course it was kind of kept alive by fans and now the only reason we know about this is basically the first real talk about it is from 1998 so 17 years after this machine was there and there was an uh in the early days of the internet there was a website called coinop.org and it was a record of all the old arcade games which at this point were already disappearing right the arcades had died they had risen and fallen now it was everything was chuck e cheese which was you know you know gambling for children with uh you know with a mechanical rat yeah uh hey listen i love chuck e cheese exactly gambling for children with a mechanical rat and the parents can sit around drinking beer i went there many a time oh my gosh as a kid i loved it as an adult i was not a fan but continue (laughs) on but uh anyway so coinop.org posted a list of all the video games uh, that they knew of and there was a listing for Polybius. And it, it said, quote, very limited release, one or two arcades in the suburb of Portland. And okay. then according to rumors, it was, quote, developed by some kind of weird military tech offshoot group and used some kind of proprietary behavior mod- modification algorithms developed for the CIA. All right, wait, I'm going to pause. I'm drinking my liquid death mountain water. It's ah. themed with my paranormality story. And so I need to, wait. So this website came out and said that this was a government run video game for the CIA. Yes. Well, you know what this reminds me of? What? This reminds me of two things. It reminds me of the book Ender's Game. Okay, yes. Because that is sort of the premise of the book Ender's Game is right. for those that have not read it. I'm sorry I'm giving it away for you. But spoilers. Spoiler alert. 30-year-old book and a 
10 year old movie. Yeah. Is um, that it is a, um, uh, it's about a kid who plays a video game, but he's actually committing war and genocide and stuff like that. And he doesn't realize yeah. that at first, right? Yeah. The other one, even more fun, and let's go back to the 80s, is War Games. Okay. War Games. Where it was a video game that they tapped into. Yep. You know, do you want to play a game? It's It was before Scream took that line and coined it for something completely different. Right, right. But that was the whole premise of that, is that they had logged into what appeared to be a game system. But it was running military operations and starting potentially a nuclear war. And of course, the great, the great Nick Castle classic, uh, directed classic called The Last Starfighter. Oh, oh. The Last Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. Yeah, but that wasn't our government. That was an alien Alien government, government right? You know? So, yeah. All right. So okay, okay. So it's run by the government, and this is not a movie that we're. Talking all right. About. So now, of course, people say this is a an urban legend, right? It okay. even Game Pro magazine says it's an urban legend in two thousand three. Okay, but, but wait, 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 wait. We have to take a commercial break. And there is some truth. Let's come back after their break. Okay. Eerie Appalachia. Gear up for a frightful jaunt into the darkest reaches of the ancient Appalachians. Folks deep within the Appalachian hollers lean close to the campfire to share stories of the inexplicable with hushed awe. Monsters rumbling in the hills, strange lights darting through the pitch black night sky, horrible occurrences almost ineffable in their bizarre tragedy. Tall tales, you might say. Tell that to the Flatwoods monster in Braxton County, West Virginia, or the Goat Man of Louisville. Look into his humanoid eyes and let him know you don't believe. What of those apparitions in Mammoth Cave's Corpse Rock or the Satan spawn known as the Jersey Devil? How do you respond when confronted by these mysteries? From the metaphysical energy that swirls near Serpent Mound in Ohio to Point Pleasant's Mothman Legacy, Mark Muncy and Carrie Schultz explore the dark history lurking in the shadows of Appalachia. Read by Mark Muncy, author and experts on strange folklore with appearances on shows such as Ancient Aliens, The Curse of Robert the Doll, and many, many more. Greetings, mortals and others. I'm Dick Terhune, the voice from hell. I work with haunted attractions all over the U.S., Canada, and Europe to increase audiences and enhance their experience with highly effective commercials, narrations, animatronic character voices, whatever your dark heart desires. Let me help you do more, scare more, profit more. Find out more at Voice From Hell on Facebook and at voicefromhell.com. And we're back. We're back. You're we're back and you're okay. So and when last we broke off, um, we had found a government thing and they said it was a government thing. And in 2003 they came out and and uh it was GamePort magazine and then coinop.org again. It's still around, it's been around at this point for a long time. And in the comment section, a guy named Stephen Roach adds to the story. And he says he helped create it. Him and a few other naive programmers worked for a company called Cineslushen. And they were hired by a South African Wait, company. 
a guy named Roach. Roach, I just, Stephen I wanna, Roach. I, I couldn't I couldn't write these names in one of my no, books. You couldn't make this stuff up, right? No, exactly. Stephen Roach was working for a company named what? Uh, Sinnesloschen, German. Oh, so the Germans are involved now. Okay, cool. Yes. Okay. And it basically said they were just in over their head with the advanced graphics, not knowing that it was going to be dangerous. Um, and then in 2009, so a few years later, coinop.org comes back saying, this guy is bogus, has no idea what the heck he's talking about. Uh, we're flying to the Ukraine to sort all this out. Okay, okay. they're going to the Ukraine. To, okay. All right. That's the last thing on coinop.org. They never posted again, the original coinop.org people. Well, because they never came back from the Ukraine. Uh, obviously. So, but, okay. So okay. everybody's pretty sure the Stephen Roach guy is, was full of himself. They're pretty sure Polybius was a hoax entry on coinop.org. There were pretty much you know, because nobody can even remember it. The people who do swear that they saw it, it's very Mandela effect where they are saying, oh, yes, I saw that movie with, you know, Sinbad playing a genie, you know, uh, called, uh, you know, Shazam. No, it's, um, you know, this is very similar. It's like, I remember playing Polybius and it was a puzzle game. And then one guy's, no, no, it was a shooter. It was like Tempest. Oh, no, it was, you know, you know, anyway, everybody always, you know, has their, we saw this, but, but here's the thing. 1981, there was a program going on and this story has a few pieces of truth behind it. It actually started a few decades before Polybius and the government was running a program started in the 1950s. And it was after Operation Paperclip, which was World War II, where we were rescuing Nazi and Japanese scientists and bringing them to America because we don't want the Russians to get them. Okay. And then we were still having them work for us on secret projects. Okay. And we didn't want the American people to know about it. And it later became Operation Paperclip, later turned into a project called MK Ultra. And one of the things MK Ultra decided was we want to learn how to do uh, mind control because the Russians obviously have a mind control program and we have to be one that does one better. And okay. so one of the scientists was a man named Gottlieb. And as we know, one of the arcade games, you know, the companies that we used to always play was called Gottlieb. Uh, mm -hmm. they made a lot of great games. They later merged with Coleco. Um, uh, but anyway, he was part of this program, although there is no connection between the, just that they have the same names. Uh, okay. but many of MK Ultra's subjects did not know that they were doing tests. The government was illegally testing people. Um, and it, and there wasn't a, a cover up of this. And it wasn't revealed until 1977 that this was going on. And then we found out later it was, and it wasn't declassified until 2001. And wow. we found out during the 80s, 
there was still more testing, even though after 77, it was supposedly shut down. Um, and what they did was they brought this new substance to the U.S. called LSD. Oh. And uh, they would give it to, um, uh, you know, during the Cold War, they would give it to subjects, sometimes voluntarily, and, you know, sometimes not. And they basically paid a quarter of a million dollars to buy the entire world's supply of LSD and bring it to the United States. Wow. And um, and he would take give them to clinics and hospitals and prisons and say, yo, give this to people. We need to do tests and we need to see. And let's, and these were not just nor these were not, you know, unknown people. Some of the people who got their sponsored tests, one was the great Ken Kessie. Okay. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yes. Uh, one was uh, Robert Hunter, who was a lyricist for a band called The Grateful Dead. You know, uh, Allen Ginsberg, the poet. You know, uh, and what they were trying to do was, um, you know, hopefully being able to control the new population, you know, the, the population. And here they actually are building the drug subculture of the 60s that would basically go against the government and the CIA and all the things. Oh wow. Um one of the one of the most famous subjects was uh Whitey Bulger, the the gangster who was imprisoned. And uh he was volunteered and it was supposed to be a cure for his schizophrenia. And it, they gave it to him for decades. And uh it was only later that he realized you know, this can't be curing schizophrenia because it's not working. And well, like, you know, it's interesting is they they talk a lot about that now, just mm -hmm. separately. There's a great Netflix documentary that talks about these kind of um, mind-altering uh, medications and how they can be very helpful, but not for people with, say, things like schizophrenia or bipolar, where maybe they already see things and you don't want to exacerbate that situation. Yeah at all so the video games leads to the government having done this since the 50s leads to an lsd thing oh this is all right this is cocaine bear like level stuff right this yeah. is cocaine bear heist level stuff all right so follow me here we're, we're stick with me we're, we're getting back onto the video games so but anyway we got to talk one more thing there because one of this the doctors that Gallup worked with was one who had done extensive experiments with mescaline at the Dachau concentration camp. And uh, I think our- What is mescaline? Uh, mescaline's another drug uh, uh, okay. that also affects the brain. Um, and I think, Callie, uh, you, have a, you, you have a familial tie with the Dachau concentration camp, correct? I do, yeah. Um, so my maternal great-grandfather uh, was the- scout who first saw and helped to liberate Dachau um and that is really cool because also he was he was Jewish and like he he was able to like you know help recover the people from this very awful place and he he when he was telling us about it before he passed um he mentioned that like you could smell it 
and he wasn't sure what the smell was because they didn't really know what was happening yet. And once they got there, it was obviously very devastating. But I, I know in like, I think 2014 or 2015, uh, he went to Germany for like this big um, uh, like anniversary thing for the liberation of Dachau. Right. And he, he met someone who was like, you are the reason I'm alive. You saved my grandfather. And that was just a really powerful thing. Um, wow. but yeah, no, it's really cool. He's got some stuff, I think, in the uh, Seattle Holocaust Museum, and it's the letters that my great grandmother sent to him. Um, and she is still alive. Uh, she's like 97, I think. I don't know. Well, she's still kicking, though. And she donated all those letters and his uniform and a whole bunch of stuff. It's it's really cool. So <laughs> I guess a travel for this episode is the Seattle Holocaust Museum. Yeah, yes, that's absolutely. An amazing place. Um, so the, there were all these other little sub programs uh -huh. in this. One of my favorites, the CIA did an operation called Operation Midnight Climax. Does this sound like one of the books that uh, Honey Cumming should write? Um, I, it sounds like one of the books I want to read. Midnight. It's uh, basically CIA agents uh, would rent apartments with two-way mirrors, hire prostitutes, and then have the prostitutes drug their Johns, and they would observe them to see the effects of the drugs on their mind control experiments. Uh, and this was with no oversight. They basically gave Gottlieb, you know, carte blanche to be, to pick anybody he wanted to be a subject. And wow. Um, yeah, there's a great book about it. Um, and it's called the poisoner in chief by, uh, Stephen Kinsler. I read it a few years ago. It's, uh, it's amazing, but, um, okay. Then this leads to, uh, another conspiracy. There was a death of Frank Olson, uh, who was working for the CIA and at one of their retreats where they just went up to the woods to have some fun, he fell out of a window in New York to his death from an apparent suicide. And that's what his family told him was he died of suicide. And they finally got a second autopsy. Now that was in 1953. It, they couldn't get a second autopsy on him until 1994. Wow. And the family finally got it. And that's where they figured out how much he'd been drugged. And they realized there were also scuff marks on the windowsill that had been covered up by the investigation because it was a government investigation, not a police investigation. So it was a struggle and all this. So, you know, they finally got a, you know, a settlement uh, from the government. And uh, I, I, all they had gotten before was an apology from Gerald Ford in the seventies. Um, and that was uh, back when uh, the seventies, after Watergate, Ford found out about MK Ultra, and decided to go public with all this. So that's all pre-Polybius. Wow. Okay. So I feel like I'm on a journey. I feel like oh, I yeah. need a break already with my journey. So now we're back. And so what is Polybius then? Okay. Well, now here's where <laughs> the perfect storm happens, right? Uh, so we've all been, you know. It's a, it's a hoax. It's a crazy thing. There's, you know, you know, this guy Roach who came up with the thing. It's, you know, that's gotta be, he's bogus. 
um, this wonderful guy named, uh, who's a video game historian, uh, Kat Desperia, uh, he said there was a man named Stephen Roach who ran behavioral modification programs, but his company was in Mexico and uh, they basically were at a child reform academy that used behavior modification. And it's kind of implied that it was brainwashing, but obviously not digital. And it was shut down by the government and that Stephen is a man on the run because the government wants him. And that's why he hasn't posted anything since that 2006 article uh, or his 2006 comment. Um, okay. Now, Seneschlossian, the company, uh, never existed. It's a badly spelled German, basically meaning sensory removed. And there is a Seneschlossian website, but it's a fan site. You know, uh, because, <laughs> you know, it's it's people trying to bring Polybius out. Um, you know, so these, you know, this is pretty crazy. But there are three deaths related uh, to Portland, Oregon in the 1980s in arcades. In the span okay. of a week, one kid, Michael Lopez got a migraine, the first one he'd ever had from playing the game Tempest. Later died. A 12-year-old was trying to set the world record for playing asteroids for the longest time, and he fell in ill and was taken to a hospital after 28 hours of playing that game. Oh, my gosh. The arcade was supposedly massaging his hands while he was playing it because they wanted to be the place that he broke the record. And then only a week later, 18-year-old competitive gamer Jeff Daly dies of a heart attack chasing the world record on my game, Berserk. Wow. Now, one year passes. 19-year-old Peter Burkowski, also trying to beat the world record on Berserk, dies in that same arcade with the same reason, heart attack. So if you're a kid in the 80s in Portland and you've got kids falling sick and two kids dying, maybe a third died, one we don't have proof 100% he died, we do know he got sick. Um, yeah, when you get that, that's that's how legends grow, right? That's how, well, you know, if there is this one game causing it. Yeah, and I, I I feel like it's our duty to point out at this point in time that there is a reason video game consoles come with warnings now about what can happen to certain people when they're looking at video games and right. prolonged exposure to video games and stuff like that. Because that none of that was known back then. No, we didn't so, have those little warning, you know, the well, flashing lights. That, and I don't think it was understood how much time would be dedicated by especially younger people and stuff oh, like yeah. that to looking at these games i mean because it was kind of similarly to tv like tv had come out but people weren't necessarily sitting down watching tv all day long that wasn't a thing when it first came out right well because the became... television stations weren't on 24 hours then so yeah exactly exactly and so you know televisions did the nightly news and then shut off like that right. was it or there was 
sometimes a late show right after the news and it kept expanding but for a time like the idea of people being in front of computer any sort of screen for any period of time was not thought of and having things move around and how they moved and how the lights flashed keep in mind none of this was done for scientific research this was all 100 done for entertainment research right. well you know now there's two more things okay so remember government sponsored company right building a video game yeah government did sponsor a video game which did premiere in pacific northwest and that was battle zone Battlezone had been developed by the military as a tank trainer. And it was for training how to drive the, I believe the M1, some commenter I'm sure will correct me on that. Uh, but, uh, and that's why it was such a cool game and why it was so cool to play because it really was a military trainer and it had Vectrix graphics. Now, no games. Anyway. Yes. Now, the <laughs> last thing, remember the men in black? Yeah. Service the games. I'm sorry. I forgot about it for a game. moment, but now I'm back to it. People showing okay. up in suits to service the game. So, the 1980s, we discussed the arcade atmosphere, right? It was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you'd line up, you'd play games, you know, you'd hang out. It was your parents would drop you off at the mall. You know, the mall ones were usually a little nicer, but even then, they were the dark, dingy place where the rest of the mall was all lit up, you know, because that's where it was better for the video games. You could stare at those screens better. Mine um, was a shed beside a beauty salon was where the arcade I played nice. that was. <laughs> Mine was a pizza parlor next to a pizza parlor in Carlisle, Ohio, which later Ernie Klein writes about in Ready Player One, uh, which is great. So um, I was like, I know that. I know that arcade. I know that machine. It was so cool. And I was so mad it wasn't in the movie. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so but. Everybody thinks the arcades were these great safe havens. No, they mm -hmm. were filled with drugs and gambling because they usually had pool tables in the back and pool. They were basically pool halls with video games in the front, pool tables in the back. And so the FBI in the in the Portland area started doing stings because they noticed that a lot of the video games where you could put your initials in when you win they realized yeah. a lot of the initials matched some of the guys on their most wanted list. So not knowing video game That's culture, they would come into these arcades in their FBI suits and put cameras behind those screen, you know, cause the TV was not, it wasn't like where we see now where it's a digital screen. The screen is actually usually at an angle and then there's glass and we get that kind of pepper's ghost effect, which is an old haunted house effect. So that's why the screens look bigger than they were. And that's why the games were more immersive and they had that like 3D feel. But they would put cameras inside there facing out so they could get these guys' pictures. And of course, this is not digital cameras. So they'd have to go in and grab the tapes constantly to, you know, every six to eight hours to grab the tapes. And they would they would only do it like every couple of days. So, you know, and hope they caught their guy. Uh, and they did this. And so there were people arrested that they caught in arcades doing drug deals on camera. And so that is where the men in black story comes from. So if you put all this together, you have Polybius. Now, Polybius is actually a, you know, a Greek historian. Uh, and he was the first guy to say, don't believe anything you don't hear firsthand from somebody. He's the reason why 
you know, he's like, get a firsthand account before you write it down. And that's wow. why we love listener tales. It's why we love this stuff because this is obviously the name is kind of a joke that, you know, these are all secondhand accounts, thirdhand accounts, all this other stuff. And also there was the Polybius cipher, which was one of the first codes. So that's also kind of plays into the name too. So, so there was never a Polybius video game? Not that anybody can prove. Now, like I said, there are people, like I said, our Mandela effect, you know, there was never Dolly's braces, but everybody from Moonraker, but everybody remembers it. There are many people who legitimately swear they played Polybius. Now there are oh, some. Oh, see, we need some listener stories. I want to yep. know if you played Polybius, and even better, do you have some Polaroid taken of you with the Polybius machine, or you and your friends, or whatever? I would love that. And you know, I do know how Photoshop works. So if that photo looks really, really good, we're not gonna believe shit. Yeah, but... yeah, I know there are there are quite a few. Of course, you know, it, it blew up in the creepy pasta days. So there's a lot of Photoshop, you know, Polybius cabinets. Uh, there is a, a movie that was going to be a documentary uh, called The Polybius Conspiracy because they were actually taking it very seriously and they started a Kickstarter but couldn't get the funding for it. But they had some supposedly explosive evidence, but of course it's never seen the light of day. Um, there was even recently... A Polybius cabinet went up for auction. And oh. everybody's like, ooh, yeah, because some people have made some mock-up cabinets. It was in uh the Loki uh Disney Plus series when they oh, went to yeah. that far off future. There was a Polybius cabinet. You know, the Simpsons when Bart's in arcade, there was a Polybius cabinet. Ready Player One has a Polybius cabinet. Uh, and that's exactly what this cabinet was. This was apparently made for a movie that never got aired, uh, you know, that never finished production. Um uh, but the guy who made it really did a really good stuff from it. And, um, you know, and it's kind of goes back to the old, you know, Loch Ness Monster with, um, you know, the one doctor who, you know, was fascinated by it, you know, and he, you know, he saw the hippo footprints and people laughed at him. So then he goes and fakes the, you know, the Loch Ness Monster. So the people, yeah, and that becomes the most famous photo that we all recognize as the Loch Ness Monster. It's a hoax. but. There, you know, because he put that up there was because he thought he really saw a monster. He saw the monster footprints. These were the monster and nobody believed him. So he had to make the hoax to make people believe him. Some people say that's Polybius. It's a hoax because it really happened. But we made the hoax to, you know, to make so people will listen to us. Wow. Um, what a well ride. Done. Well done for whoever did that little hoax, especially back in the 80s. Well done on that. Or, Mark, I'm just going to throw this out here as an idea. Maybe it does exist, but not in this dimension. And people have shifted back and forth. So maybe they did play it. I think Hadron Collider Mandela effect, it, you know, it did exist before that. And we, we're now in the alternate world where it didn't. So, Or they just slid in and out. I, You know, yeah. there, I've seen so many. And we're going to have a show on the, the glitches in the Matrix where people are sliding in and out of. Yes. alternate dimensions we think maybe hypothetically then there's your that's listener tale if you have <laughs> yeah no definitely but that's super weird that is a very weird story so guess what listeners i want to see them i want to hear them i want to know if you know what we're talking about when it comes to this video game were you in the portland area 
Do you remember playing this video game? The one thing that strikes me as interesting about this is most video games were not just one cabinet in one area kind of thing or a couple cabinets in areas. They were pretty national. Like the, the moment they gained any popularity, they were replicated and stuff like that. I'm not saying there aren't those games and things like that, but anyway, there's- I mean, there's many were, re, would be recalled and rebuilt. That was a, a game, Pleiades, was, you know, this company called Nintendo made it. It was a Space Invaders knockoff and it wasn't very good. So they recalled it. And then uh, this guy, you know, they had this one guy remake the entire game, but only able to use that same board. They didn't want to have to rebuild the board and after that and that's what he created donkey kong which invented mario and uh you know and that's you know that's what happened a lot with these games so that's why you know there's wonderful things like mame which is the multi-arcade machine emulator where they try to restore these roms uh the the arcade roms that where the games were stored and then yeah. you can play them on your computer and that's why now you can buy those multi-cades that have hundreds of games that they've licensed um which is pretty cool um there was the shady area of emulating for a long time where the gray legal area of what could you do this as long as you own the game well you know how many people of us own those old arcade machines yeah but we owned it on atari so does that count all right maybe uh yeah but uh stop incriminating us mark we need yeah, to yeah. stop going down the rabbit hole all right so for our travel for today though is i recommend going to your local arcade there are they are restoring and there's of course barcades our thing now, which actually gives you that kind of MK Ultra feeling, uh, but uh, <laughs> going to an old school where you can drink and play video games. Uh, but uh, my favorite is Silverball Museum in Delray Beach, Florida. Uh, I think we mentioned it before; it's a kind of a haunted location down there. Uh, but it has the largest collection of pinball machines, uh, stuff Very from the cool. 1930s all the way up to modern day. Uh, they have one of the Evil Knievel pinball machines. I think only 75 of them were ever made. But it has an original Pong, and it has an original Tempest, and it has an original Gyrus, so I'm I'm good. Oh, so, so Mark would live there if he Oh, and a Berserk, but don't play it till you have a heart attack. And if you happen to want to go to Portland, I just recommend going to Voodoo Donuts. So yes! That's my travel tips of the day. <laughs> that's, hey, I will never say no to Voodoo Donuts, so. Oh, the original Voodoo Donuts. Oh my gosh. Okay, Mark. And my travel is still the Seattle Holocaust Museum. Like yes. I said, it's a piece of my family history. It's very cool. Um, and also not too far from Portland. So if you still want to, you know, go hop, yeah. skip and a jump, get some voodoo donuts, it's an option. There you go. And uh, yeah, with that, we can't say more. And thank you to the greatest generation for helping us in that terrible time. So, uh, but on that note, I think we will have Destiny play us out of here and we will, oh, see you on the other side. But don't forget, use the code TRAVELS when you go to Paranormality Mag. Tell them we sing.